Hey, are you looking for new and innovative ways to connect with your children? Do you want to learn how to connect with them through hip-hop, social media, and popular culture? Then look no further than my company, The Glad Dad. I'm Dion, a keynote speaker, professional development trainer, and workshop presenter. And I'm also an expert in family engagement. And I want to show you and everyone around you how to use the latest trends to connect with young people on a much deeper level. A level that will truly break down barriers and create change. By working with The Glad Dad, you'll learn how to break through the noise and meet young people where they are to connect with them on their level. You'll discover new ways to communicate, engage, and create meaningful connections that'll last a lifetime. Whether you're a parent, teacher, or youth leader, I want to teach you the strategies that'll help you connect with your kids like never before. From keynote speeches to professional development training, I got you covered. So don't wait any longer. Visit my website, DionChavis.com today to learn more about how I can help you connect with your children through hip-hop, social media, and popular culture. Your kids will thank you for it. That's right, The Glad Dad, helping adults establish positive relationships with young people. Reach out to me today and let's discuss how I can serve you and your staff. Now let's get back to the podcast. Hey, y'all, welcome to another episode of the Black People Parenting Podcast, the number one podcast for black parents. I am your host, Dion, family engagement educator and glad dad. Welcome to another edition. Glad to have you here. If you are watching this on the replay, thank you for joining us. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, anything like that, thank you for tapping in. Thank you for checking in. Appreciate that. If you are listening to us, thank you. Also, make sure you like, share, and subscribe as you find value in this episode Uh, Be sure to share it with somebody who you think can benefit from it. On the episode today, we're talking about toxic parenting and how it can affect a child's uh, sexual behavior, sexual decisions. Got some wonderful guests on the show with me today. One guest is somebody that I've known probably since she was knee high to a grasshopper, as the old folks used to say. Um, way, way, way back in the day. Uh, Miss Deshar Nicole, welcome, 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 cousin. Welcome to the show, family. What's poppin'? Hey, y'all. Hey, I'm so glad to thank be you here. For, thank you for joining us, Deshar. Make sure you share it on your Facebook page. I know all your Facebook people be going crazy when you go on live. They love you to death. So make sure you share this thing on your Facebook. Them, them Facebook views be jumping when she get on the book. Uh, also, of course, you know, I got my ride or die, my <laughs> right hand, the one, the only, looking fabulous as always. I like your earrings. I like your hat you got in the back. You had it on today, didn't you? Dr. Bambi Gaddis. What's up, Dr. G? Hi, good evening. It is a pleasure to meet you, Deshar. I'm excited about tonight. And I was just sharing uh, with the two of them that uh, just the topic brought discussion in my household. So mm-hmm. I'm very much uh um looking forward to tonight and as a uh, uh hvtn faith ambassador for uh through the fred hutch cancer research center i mean this is what we do uh mr chavis is a part of our mission and our goal to educate community and this is a critical discussion about parenting because there we are raising the next generation so mm-hmm. i'm excited to be here so I want to I want to start because I want to be sure there's no confusion. I want to start with with coming up with a working definition or just a high level way to explain what toxic parenting is. So when I think of toxic parenting, I think of parenting that is high conflict. I think that's the best way that I can put it. Like it's very high conflict. They are always issues going on. There's always something that is happening uh, in the parenting relationship. The the relationship is unhealthy between the parent. And the child is that is that fair? Would y'all agree with that? I totally agree. Okay. And that right, there's cool. characteristics to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What are some yeah. of the characteristics, Doctor G? Um, you know, in general, toxic parenting. There's a lot of definitions, but you spoke to the McKee uh, signal. It's dysfunctional, mm-hmm. and and it, it's typically a parent who, as we know, has learned some of these behaviors from the way they were parented, uh, tend to be critical. Um, some words that come to mind are manipulative. They're blaming, demanding, sometimes abusive, embarrassing, and sometimes cruel in how they are dealing with children, both in private and in public. Right, right, 
Okay. All right. So that's our definition. We got it. So let's dive into it. And I, I, I asked Ashara to be on this episode um, because I know, number one, she is a mother. She has a son who is tall as a weed, might I say. But uh, Jador is how old now? He's 14. He's 14. Wow. So she has, she's raising a young man. Uh, but I also know that her relationship with her mother has not always been the best. I know that there's always been a relationship with her son uh, that has been like just super dope, like just watching them and watching them uh, interact over the years and watching him grow. Um, but I think that it's important to have a conversation. And when I asked her to be on the show, she jumped at the opportunity. So, Deshaw, let's start with this question. How do you think? Well, let's talk about this. Let's say this. What's, give me your uh, your family background, because some people would ask, like, why would you be here to talk about this topic? So share what you think is necessary. And I know your 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 story is a lot of times an open book. So feel free to share what you what you think is important about your story. Um, I guess I'll just stick to the topic. And I know we were talking about what toxic means. Um, and I'm gonna go with the Webster de definition of extremely harsh, malicious, or harmful, whether that be physically, mentally, or emotionally. So. A little bit about my background is I am the oldest of five children. My mother has five children. I'm from Norfolk, Virginia. All of my mother's other children have the same father. I have a different father who succumbed to his drug addiction when I was in the fifth grade. I was 10. Um, I would like to say some of the toxicity and uh, shout out to my mom. I think she's watching. Um my mom got pregnant with me when she was 15. She had me at 16. So my grandma was raising both of us together. We were growing up together. Um, and throughout the years, I had several challenges with my mom, um, even to the point of where the toxicity, not just from her, but me led us to not talking for five years. And so uh, that's just a little bit about my background. Um, and then, of course, I have a 14-year-old son who's absolutely amazing. Um yeah, that's it. So, okay. Thank you for sharing that. So how do you think toxic parenting practices, some of the things that we named in the definition, how do you think some of those practices um, can impact a child's overall sexual development and their uh, decisions as they grow older? Um, a big, I think it impacts it in such a mighty way that I experienced it myself because as again, my mom had me at 16. So what she knew was that she had a daughter that she didn't want to be 16 and pregnant. Um, and I think I think sexuality, she beat it up on me so much. Like I could literally go and rob a bank and she would say, well, she robbed the bank, but is she pregnant? And they say, no, she ain't pregnant. I'm not in trouble. I could get suspended in school. I could fight. I could steal. I could do whatever it is that I wanted to do as long as I didn't get pregnant. And my mom drilled that in me like, oh, you, you, don't, you don't need to be having sex. I don't want you having sex. You don't need to be pregnant. She's beating in me so bad that she didn't want me to get pregnant, never realizing that it takes me to be with a boy to get pregnant, but never dealt with the fact that I may have turned to girls at the time because I can't get pregnant being, being gay. Um, so like, girl, okay, you, you pushed me away from me, boys, because you didn't want me to get pregnant. So I had a same sex attraction for girls in high school. And so for me, sex was always terrifying because it's like, I don't want to get pregnant. And then people don't think about it. Like the things that our parents drill into us, if we don't deal with them, they become issues for us as adults. And I remember being an adult and getting married. And I'm like, because... I did not have he healthy sexual relationships when I was younger because I was afraid. My mama, my mother parented me from a toxic place. So I think she thought she thinks that she did a good job. And according to her standards, she did because I want a teenager and pregnant. So she, she was successful in her attempts, but it damaged me emotionally and sexually to where when I got older and I decided to get married, I could not engage sexually with my husband. It was gross. It was nasty. I wanted to I wanted to feel like a woman's touch. So I think that's one of the things that my mom did that 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 tore me up as as it relates to sex and how I coped with her style of parenting. Mm, mm, good. Thank you so much for sharing that. Let me um, ask Dr. G, let me ask you this. Are there specific signs or um, red flags in a child's behavior that could indicate 
that they have been affected by toxic parenting or high conflict parenting in terms of their sexual behavior? So let me say, before we talk about the child, um, because I think what, um, what we're hearing from Deshara is the generational, uh, I, you know, one of the questions that came to mind is, do you have sisters and brothers? Are you an only child? Are you, you know, were you the only child in the family? No. So, so part of, if we, if we were to bring the family together, if that was ever a possibility, and we talk to each child, I would, I would guess that in, in, a, in a unique way, each of you, each child in a family has a story to tell about the impact of the parent's behavior. And I don't want to, to bash any, you know, I, you know, so we're not trying to use this as a, 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 a conversation where we're bashing one parent. What we are talking about is what is the impact when a parent is uh, demonstrating manipulation, guilt, um, uh, uh, indoctrinating fear, demanding. I hear. I, I heard Deshar talk a lot about mandating certain kinds of expectations. Um, this is about children having a low self-esteem from being feeling like they're being badgered manipulated, caught in the middle, being blamed for things that are really about adults' choices, but yet the child is having to take responsibility for that. And so I think before we can talk about the impact of the child, it's a lot of these things don't manifest until there are people are grown in their adulthood where they have been subjected to this behavior um, Another example is being angry at a child and not speaking to them for long periods of time, um, where the child may not even know why they're not being spoken to, but the manipulation is, why is my mother, why is my father not speaking to me? What did I do? And so that comes into relationships when we potentially select a partner consciously or unconsciously whose way of dealing with, with our differences are not speaking to us. They may decide to sleep on the couch. The, the partner My therapist may, calls that emotional charades. Exactly. The, the partner saying, what did I do? Let's talk about it. And their response could is potentially, you know what you did. And so imagine a child trying to figure out on behalf of a parent or and not just a parent, but a adult caregiver, what did I do? Why are we putting children in spaces where they have to figure out for us adults, what did they do? So to your question, we have too many children because they're coming up in environments where they may, where their parents uh, may not have wanted them, that they came at the wrong time, or the parent or the caregiver themselves is the product of the same toxicity that they're now instilling in their children. And we expect children to grow up and have a healthy concept of who they are, their value, what that they have, they'll feel they've been loved, nurtured, and cared for. So my first point is let us deal with adults asking themselves, am I a toxic parent? Do I use my children as a tool? Do I speak to them in ways that are totally disrespectful? Am I hitting them when communication would be a better way of handling the situation? Or is there a sense of balance in how I'm parenting? And until parents ask themselves the question themselves, we cannot expect children to figure it out for us. Okay, well, we want to 
pass the collection plate now or later? Which one did you want to do? You want to ask you the, to pass the, it now? the departments of ju uh, juvenile justice. Look at the suicide rate among young people. They're not just getting in those spaces, the cutting behaviors, the, the self. I said it's self harm, suicidal ideations. So let me, let me, let me, let me hop in real quick, Dr. G, because what I, I think that, um, I think that a lot of times the adults don't have the tools to do those things, right? As adults, you know, the generations that, that come before us, they weren't equipped with the tools to uh, do anything but the silent treatment, right? Because they didn't know how to express their feelings. So as a parent, you know what I mean? It's like, how do you, how do, and I'll throw this question out there. How do we um, stop this vicious cycle that it's going on, this vicious cycle of, and sometimes it can be toxic and you not even intend for it to be toxic, right? Because sometimes you can go into a situation with your child and uh, think that you're handling it the right way, but you're handling it the the absolute wrong way, but you only know what you were taught and you only know how you were raised. And a lot of our folks aren't willing to deviate from that. Um, so what, what them is, how's it working for you? It hmm. might, go ahead. I, I, I have something. Um, if you ask somebody who's prone to chaos, toxicity, chaos, and dysfunction is their thing. If you ask them how it's working for them, they're going to say it's working until they step outside of it and see it a different way. Case mm -hmm. in point, like 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 Dion said, sometimes the best way, or I noticed that not in my generation, but my mother's generation, the generation before that, they love to sweep stuff under the rug like it never happened. I thought the toxicity and the chaos and the dysfunction that I went through and I lived through with my family for 28 years was, it was normal. It took for me to pack up my house and move to Atlanta to be around different types of family to realize Yo, the way that I grew up is just not right. So it's sometimes you don't even know that it's an issue because you've been in it so long that it feels right. It feels good. How it's working for me, baby, it's working. It, it's working well. And you don't see that it's not until you're introduced to different things. And a lot of times the generations that preceded me, they're not open to any new ways of thinking or ideologies. They're, they're, they're going to stick to what Big Mama mm -hmm. taught them and Big Mama going to stick to what she was taught. So mm -hmm. it, just, it just never changes until you, until you escape from it. Um, so part of the, so, so that speaks to coping because part of the guilt and the shame is that not only are people, uh, children, young adults, adults, because it moves into adulthood, um, come to terms with the thinking that it's normal when it's not, as you note. But then we get into other to family. Um, I, I'll talk person, uh, not personal, but just from experience. So there are young adults who are, have, who are and have been around me who are parenting. And as a person that cares about them, when I see triggers, when I see behaviors that potentially are potentially toxic or could be toxic, I bring it to their attention. I don't ignore it. I don't say to myself, well, I'm not their mother or I'm not their caregiver. I look at them, I look at them as if they were my own. And so I bring to their attention, I say, and I don't confront them, but I, I get them in a private space and say, tell me why you think it's necessary to say this or to say it like that to your daughter or to your son. Tell me what you're thinking. Because let me tell you what I'm seeing. And so I, I don't think these things happen in vacuums. I think there's other adults who see this toxic behavior, who see that despite the fact they think it's working, that it's not working, but they don't either address it or they don't confront the person and say, can I talk to you about some things that I'm seeing? 
So what, yeah. let me ask this stuff. I'm sorry, Deshaun, go ahead. That's good. And I think the most important thing is that hurt people have darkened understanding. So we have to be able to extend grace to those toxic parents, those toxic people around us, just as well as we want God to extend grace to us. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they don't know. They're parenting from a hurt place. So I, I agree. I, I go to people and I let them know how they're, 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 they make me feel, especially my mom. She'll be like, girl, you always got something to say. Yeah, because I need you to understand for this to work. But I need you to hear me from, I need you to hear me holistically, not from a hurt place of what your mama did and what her mama did. But okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Cause That's your uh, right. So- That's your right. That is so a right. Deshar De- 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 said something, and I want to pivot just a little bit. She talked about her father um, dying when she was young. And, you know, I think that, I think the loss of fathers, um, particularly in our generation, is it can be considered as toxic, right? As everybody knows, my father died when I was 11 years old. He was shot and killed. I didn't really come to grips with it or really realize how much I needed and missed him until I was 35. Um, I grew up the majority of my life without a a real father figure, right? Um, but I'm always interested in hearing what role not having a father um, played in the life of your of like your decisions, you know? Like, because for me, I always think back like I didn't, I never got into any trouble, but I always think about how my life would have been different if I would have had a father. Like, even for me, more so as an adult, like for me having like. A old man to go and talk to when 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 life really started to get rough and when the rubber really met the road like i really need a, another older black man to go and talk and i didn't have that um so for me it manifested in my older age um but so i'm, I'm curious for Deshar how that affected you and your decision making at, at 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 such a younger age when your father died and then growing up yeah so at a younger age i didn't have time for it to affect me just going back to the toxicity. My biological my biological father died when I was 10, but it was a man in the house who provided for us, but he didn't have that emotional that I didn't have that emotional um support the way I wanted to. So while I was a child, I wasn't allowed to grieve the fact that my dad died because if I ever got sad, it was always but you got a daddy in the house. Never mind your daddy that died. You got somebody here and you grieving the loss of him is disrespectful to the person who stepped up to take care of you. So I, I, I'm, in a, I'm like you in a sense where when I got older and I got grown, when I got married, when I became a teenager and I started to realize I'm dealing with stuff and I'm battling stuff that my mom's other kids is not. When I started to realize that my mom was doing the absolute best she can, she gave me what she could, but in a sense, what she gave me was inadequate because I had mental mental issues of battling sexuality I'm, I'm going through all types of things and so as i got older and now of course i'm doing my own digging me and my dad family talking to my dad's mom and every it's nowhere that i have ever been that hasn't said yo you act just like your daddy you remind me of your daddy and i find so much comfort in it because if i would have had his voice younger i wouldn't have felt so misunderstood i wouldn't have felt like I was I was an alien or I was weird or that I didn't belong in the house with my mama and her other kids. Um, it, it's, it's an experience like all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are caught according to his purpose, because that pain has truly taught me how to one navigate the relationship with my own son since his father isn't there allowing him to have a place where he can tell me how he feels if he wants to talk to him if he doesn't like so it 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 has helped me and it has worked out in the long run but I still do sometimes have that yearning like yo I wish my daddy was here because it ain't a day that go by that somebody ain't on my Facebook or in my story saying yo you remind me me of your daddy you just like him um so I think for me, the grief started around teenage years when I started to shift and my behavior started to change and I started to trip out. I think I missed him the most because I feel like, honestly, that's probably the only person that would have understood me based on everybody else's um, idea of who he was or what they remembered about him. Mm, mm. 
And I just just speaking to that, man, I think that it's important for parents to understand like our kids need us. Right. And I think a lot of times we get so caught up in what we want to do and what we need, but we don't always think about how the decisions that we make can affect our lineage from for generations and generations to come. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I, I had a conversation a couple of days ago just about how when I step outside of the house, like I'm not just deciding what to do for me. I got four other people in this house that I got to think about. I got a dog that I got to I got to take care of in my house. Right. <laughs> the dog got to eat too. Dog. I have seven dogs. Right. They got to eat before we do, Dr. G. So when I go but out here, if I get into it's a- important because that is one of the key characteristics of a toxic parent. And that is when you and and and, and then let me tell you why I, I'm glad you invited me. I'm not here because I can necessarily relate to what Deshar is talking about. Um. I was, my father raised me, you know, from the age of eight. And so I have my own testimony, but the, the truth is, is that when I look back, he was still there. I was interested in coming on tonight because my sole focus is for us to continue to focus on the personal responsibility of the parent, of the, the, the guardian, the person in charge to do some self-assessment about regardless of what they were taught, because a lot of times you've already said, they say, well, I'm good. My mama did it to me. My mama treated me this way and I turned out just fine. So you think, so you think, but when we have to ask ourselves one, how do I speak what is the spirit of how I speak to my child or my, these children that I'm governing over? Do I speak to them with love? Do I edify them? Do I, as, she, as you said, do I create an intentional space for my children to be able to ask me, am I askable? Am I nurturing? All kids get on your nerves. That's just what kids do. Uh, they say my, my parents' job is to make the rules and it's my job to break them. So all kids are going to do these things. But when we put our personal desires in ahead of what is in the best interest of the children and the, the young people that we profess to love, then that is a sign that we need to get in check. I don't know if there is a way. I don't believe there is a way for a child to to place themselves in harm's way by trying to convince a parent who believes that they're doing what's right and that what they're doing is infallible, that child is literally and can be in danger, in danger of abuse, in danger of harm, of being treated worse than what they were when they try to confront an adult who believes they're doing the right thing. And so my calling is to parents, the same thing you're discussing, uh, Mr. Chavis, we need to evaluate ourselves, not put it on the child to figure out what we are doing and why we are doing it. Because once we have children, they become the priority. Mm -hmm. so They're and physical and mental and emotional well-being. That is our responsibility to nurture that let me ask this because i'm in the i'm in the class of folks who are now trying my hardest to gentle parent and i got a i got a five-year-old that's just running me up a wall so What's there are some parent? so gent, gentle parenting is an approach that basically says that you number one are not going to do any physical um harm to your child so that we don't believe in spanking i don't believe in spanking my children i never have i've never spanked my daughter i, I never spanked my son uh, but with my five-year-old now, I'm I'm taking a, a a much calmer and gentler approach to parenting. It is it is it is more um, it's more zen-like. So there's a lot of 
uh, talking and there's a lot of getting him to understand the consequences of his mistakes and um, I'm sorry, consequences of his decisions and not raising my voice. Now, there are some folks who would say that don't work. The only way to uh, discipline your kids is to beat them is to physical punishment. You got to take your shoe off and smack them. There's a video on my fake on my on my Instagram page uh, right now that I just posted of a father who catches caught his daughter in the house with two uh, with two boys. And um, he beat her like on camera, like he smacks her and slaps her and, you know, pushes her and does all of these things. There are people in the comments that are like, yeah, that's what he need to do. That's what she need. And I'm like, that that ain't it. Like that ain't it. There's because number one, there's no factual evidence that has proven that um, physical discipline works. It's just that we hear people say, we hear people say that, you know, my parent did it to me. So it worked for me. Right. But my question is that are the, the parents that are of this day and age who are trying to take a different approach. Could we be doing it wrong? Right. I mean, I'm playing the devil's advocate. I don't believe I'm doing it wrong, but I want to play the devil's advocate. Is it possible that we need to go back to that? You know, you hear a lot of people say spare the rod, spoil the child. They think that's in the Bible. It's not actually in the Bible, but they'll throw that out there with the quickness. Um, are we doing it wrong if we are gentle parenting and not doing what our what our, our older uh, ancestors and folks used to do? Deshaun, what's up with you? I think that parenting is tailor-made. Be it, I, I feel like it's tailor-made. You have to know your child. You have to know the way your child thinks, the way your child exists, and who exactly your child is. Mm -hmm. Me, personally, I got beaten growing up, and I still ended up with five felonies, so it ain't work. Mm. I don't beat my child. I, I don't know if what I do is gentle parenting. My son is 14. He's never got a beating. I mean, I holler sometimes like, bro, clean your room. Like, I do that. But my son is 14. He's anchored CNN News. He's the number one debater in the state of Georgia. He got accepted to the Harvard Law Debate Program. He's an honor roll student. And I'm a gentle parent who was parented in a very toxic and harsh way. I would say it depends on your child. Some children might need to get roughed up. To the fullest extent of the law, because you can go to jail for beating your kids too. But if you you may have to spank your child, that might be what that child needs. Mm -hmm. But you may have a child that you could do like my son. If I talk loud enough, my son gonna straighten up. He all I have to do is go to level ten on on the on the audio scale. I don't have to hit my child. I don't have to do any of that. So to, to the answer to that question is, I think parents should really know, learn who their kids are because beatings may work for one where it may not work for the other. And gentle parenting might work for one where it may not work for other. I just feel like it's no right or wrong to that question. Mm. That's good. Dr. G? The first thing, I think one of the important things that parents do is, first of all, educate yourself. You know, we have Bibles in the house, but don't have a book on sexuality. Um, we're parenting again, uh, forming uh, people's perceptions of body image, um, how they see their body, whether they see it as something that's a gift from God or whether they see it as something dirty and nasty. And um, uh, thoughts and, and think, thinking around masturbation, for example. You know, I, I have a friend who said his mother, when he was a, a teenager, walked in on him um, when he was fantasizing about a poster on the wall. She came into his room unannounced. And there he was. And she chose to deal with that by yelling at him, tell him he was nasty, went and told all the family that she walked in on this private moment with this young man. Mm. And, and, and even though he played it, the person who was telling me the story played it off. Why? Because he had no other recourse, but to, but to, to endure it. Was that the proper way? So to that video you saw, when I talk about educating yourself, first of all, how many missed opportunities are in that video? Number one, what is the relationship between that young girl and those two boys? Did What happened to the two boys in the video? I know that you said he beat her, but where was the conversation that where he in private as a man of the house, as her father, took that opportunity to, to, to say to her, I need to I, I want to talk to you. 
not beat, not get the belt and beat her, but to say, I want to talk to you about what just happened. Who are those boys? What is your relationship? Were you, were, how did they get into the house? Did you let them in because you felt you had to? Did you let them in for what reason? I love you. I get it. Do you need birth control? I mean, there are all kinds. You know what I'm saying? There are or all kinds of, she might have already been sexually active, but how would you know that if you never sat down and you and we thought that the best thing to do was to grab the leather belt and beat this child, which I can guarantee you the likelihood that they are going to talk to you at that point is probably little to none. So, to the parents, we have to say, are we educating ourselves? Do we know what healthy sexual development is? Because if we know that healthy sexual development is, we know that children at every age want to know what's the difference. Why does he have that? Why does she have that? They want to see it. They want to touch it. They want to ask questions and how we engage them in that conversation is going to lay the precedent back to our topic. That's going to lay the precedent for how they see their bodies how they deal with differences, how they address questions. And you can see that in closure, go to a beach, go, just go to a beach. And you'll see, you'll see people from the majority population. They, they, they have on their bathing suits. They could, they, they, they have all kinds of shapes and sizes, but they're just like out there, but you can have a beautiful black woman with a beautiful body and all covered up. It's July in South Carolina. It's 90 degrees out, but perceptions of body determine how she presents herself to the, to the, to the world. And so these things can be very um, deep seated and manifest as it's been said over and over again into our 30s, into our 40s, 50s, and 60s. And some of us go to our grave, never having resolved some of what we've experienced around this toxic uh, shaming and be thinking we can beat it out of someone when we can. That's good, Dr. G. So, Deshar, let me ask you, um, as a parent, right? Because now you're a parent. Like you said, you are someone who grew up in a toxic environment. You're now parenting in a non-toxic way. How have you discussed um, sexual health and sexual um, images with your son? Because you're raising a 14-year-old boy as a single mother. So what does what is, what is the conversation um, look like for you? Oh, yeah, we get real deep and down and dirty with it. I mean, <laughs> as a matter of fact. Deep down and dirty, my goodness. Yeah, because he needs to know. I, see, I don't know my, if I want my mama, mama talking to me deep down and dirty. All my mama told me was don't get pregnant. She left out right. the other stuff. So... And a lot of people actually judge me for how open and honest about everything I am with my son. But my son would be able to tell you, like, I was in school, the girl smelled a certain way. And mother, I think she got BV. Like, we talk about the body parts. We talk about STDs. We talk about STDs that I may have had when I was pregnant with him. That I And, and me and my son have this running joke, and I'm sorry, it's TMI, but it's just who I am. I tell my son all the time, boy, you so smart. I thought you was going to be slow when you was born because I had an STD when I was pregnant and I had to go take penicillin. And we like we joke about it. So I tell my, I, I talk to my son about the anatomy of a woman's body, about his, about the urges that he's having to the best of my, my knowledge because I'm not a man and I don't know what his body feels like from the inside, but I know. I know enough to know, hey, this is when you when you have an erection, when you have an orgasm, this is what it is. I talk to my son all the time. So one day I just was like, hey, do you be watching porn? He was like, no, nah, but I really be thinking about it, though. I, I went so deep into it, like, you know, spiritual things. But my son know about the he knows about the body. He knows about sex, whether and it you're is talking about it with their friends. Yeah, they're we talking about it on the bus. Right. They're and I'd rather him hear it from me 
didn't hear it from his friends and their perception because I was that girl. I learned about sex from my friends. The only thing I learned about sex from my mom was don't get pregnant. Girl, now I'm now I'm older and I done met some man and he done turned me out because baby, I ain't even know I could do all of these. But you should have taught me that as a child as, as a child growing up. We so caught up in getting pregnant. Nobody talks about baby, you have unprotected sex the, 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 wrong, the right or the wrong way. You might get HIV, it don't go away. You might get get herpes, it might go away. I tell my son all the time, please do not son kiss nobody, don't kiss nobody in the mouth because she might got herpes, she might got mono, she might got anything. So if you want to kiss a girl, just get her a little pet. Ask her, ask her for my match chart. And my son, my oh my son asked her quick, like, can I see your match chart? Mother, she <laughs> how, about, how about can I see your HIV test? Can I see can I see anything <laughs> documents? Um, how about um Get him a book, not your son. I'm just saying we right. have Bibles, but no resource on human growth and development. There are books like what's happening to my body book for girls. What's happening to my body book for, for guys or boys. Uh, Linda Medeiros is, is one of the authors that comes to mind. Uh, I'll put it in the chat. Um, go to the Barnes and Noble and find a good teen book. And instead of buying $200 sneakers, tennis shoes or whatever they call them now, buy them a book and the tennis shoes. They may not read it for a while, but I can guarantee you if it's available to them, they'll look at it on the sly. And then there's a reflection. And I tell this story frequently. My grandson, he's almost 15. I was watching a movie and, you know, you're watching movies. You don't know what's coming up. I looked up and there was a, a scene with two women uh, having a, a, a intimate, having an intimate interlude. So he's coming in the room and I said, whoa, 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 you know, wait till, I, you know, trying to think I can control waiting till the scene's over. And he said, well, I got to go outside. I said, well, go on, just go. He turns around, he looks at the television and he sees the ending of the scene and he looks at me and he goes, Come on, Grandma. That's just some lesbians. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, pardon me. You know, <laughs> so the bottom line is he already knows what we're talking about. Right. He already knows. And 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 in that moment, I said, Well, okay, I got it. You get it. But he knows he could come to me. I don't even know why I said anything to him in the first place. It's not like he didn't know. But I think that's a parent's tendency. They think that if they withhold information, if they censor information, that somehow it's going to deter an urge. When in fact, what Deshara is saying is it's really totally the opposite. The more information we give our children, the less guilt we'll feel, we'll feel because we know we did everything we could in our human possibilities to make sure they had contemporary up-to-date information and we gave them a resource but if we withhold it like they're doing in florida where we now say okay we're going to censor the information don't say gay you don't have access to information children are going to resort to internet and any place else their friends and that's where they'll steep themselves in because it's familiar and it's non-judgmental. So mm -hmm. I applaud her. I applaud you because you are clearly a living, breathing example, in my opinion, as a, as a public health educator, as an HIV educator. The strategy that you've had in creating this open space for your son to talk to you, it doesn't get any better than that. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I agree. I agree. Um, so let's talk about social media because we live in an age where a lot of the images that um, the kids see and a lot of the things that they decide to do can be dictated by what they uh, watch on social media. How as a parent, Deshara, how are you um, preventing your son from being influenced by the negative things that happen on um, social media and the negative images and uh, just the negative depictions of sexuality that can happen on social media. I mean, 
that's a tough question. Of course, my son on social media, he on Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, he on Discord. They got all kinds of social medias that parents not even supposed to know about. But because I have the child that I have in that relationship, he tell me like, this what a girl Finsta accounts be. They don't go on Instagram and post these nasty pictures that go over here. Um, and I mean, I just, tr I just trust my kid. At the end of the day, I could tell him, don't let social media do this or do that. I can only trust that I've imparted into him what I needed to, to make him stay the course. And, and he, my son has allowed social media to kind of make him go crazy. I remember like, what, three weeks ago, um, I get a, I get an alert at work. I got an alert at work because my son's social media pages was linked to my work pages. And my son account was flagged for gang activity because he was doing something like he saw somebody do. I didn't even call my son. I went straight to the school, signed in, and walked in the class like, hey, yo, what's this? You want a gang or no? Like, sat down, talked to the... Look, I told his friend, he can't hang with you no more because he in the picture with you. Like, I, I'm, I'm that parent. But I, we try to protect our kids from social media, but we can't. We, we can't. You can only do your part to parent your child the best way you can and pray to the good Lord Almighty that they don't be influenced by things that they see. That's why I'm open with my son about the sexual decisions that I made, that, that the way that people are on social media. Like I, have, I, I also tell my son all the time, he grew up very privileged. But from the age, from the time he was born to the time he was about six, seven, I did fraud. So we, our life looked real good on social media. You had $10,000 birthday parties and we was posting it on social media. People wanted to be like us, but they didn't even know I was stealing it. So now we're doing the same thing. I work very hard. And I tell my son all the time, the social media influences, baby, they selling they soul. These rappers, they slave to record labels and they slave to what society say they supposed to be. I'm going to need you to set yourself apart because it's the wisdom and the knowledge that you have up here that's going to be able, that's going to, you're going to be able to obtain the things you see on social media, but you're going to be able to keep it. And I, I do that example with my son all the time. Remember that Range Rover I had when I was doing fraud? It got taken. But everything that I have that I've gotten the right way, we still have it. So I just educate my son on the consequences and the different things because I don't want him to develop this sense of greed and he wants to look a certain way because of socioeconomic status. Like I have that conversation with my child, like, bro, I work real hard for these six figures. So you got to earn it. I'm not just giving it to you. And the people on social media, like social media is wicked to the point where my son said for every prom, he wants some $600 Alexander McQueen's because he saw somebody else with him. Baby, what? You're going to get these $100 white DCs and we're going to keep it trucking and you're going to be all right. Take your ass off of social media. When you go when you go to high school, you get the grades you're supposed to get. You work your job. You go to college and you can afford to buy your own $600 Alexander McQueen's. Have at it. But no. So I just I just trust that whatever I taught him, he, got, he just going to stick with it. Dr. G. No, hey, what what I'm hearing is just like music to my ears. It's about personal mm -hmm. responsibility and what that looks like. Um, how do we foster that? Um, and even when we do the, uh, the best job we know how, even when we nurture and try to, to promote a sense of personal responsibility, we still you still have children who will go in their own direction. You know, so they'll I'm sure there are listeners here who are saying to Shara, you you you've been blessed. You know, you looked you lucked up because I'm thinking that there may be some folks listening who who attempted to do and are trying to instill the same kinds of values and and their child is gone in another direction. And but you said it you said it eloquently when you said we're doing all this by God's grace and mercy. We can, we give it a hundred, but part of what we're talking about this evening is what happens. How do parents adopt some of the, how did they redirect some of what they've been doing? That's toxic. How do they begin to do something different? 
How did they? How did they make the change? I think, how I think, did they? When? Where did they make the switch? And I think that's mm -hmm. where, for the remaining time that we have, that how do they make the switch? If they've mm -hmm. been talking down, de demoralizing, um, setting a, a totally bad pattern in how they communicate or build uh, a sense of self-efficacy and and strength in their children, how did they? And everybody that was before them treated them the same way how did they make the turn i think and so I'm you know i think really interested in hearing what you you know you have to say about where did they begin if your mother so let, i guess here's my question if your mom had at any point come and said one i'm sorry i don't know maybe she has you know, um, you know, I think about Alcoholics Anonymous. The first bridge I'm told is that you have to first admit that you're an alcoholic. You mm -hmm. have to you have to say it in front of in order to anchor your commitment to change and to getting past the times when you're going to relapse. You have to first begin by admitting that you're challenged with this substance. Well, toxicity and the way we treat our kids is, I don't see that as any different. We first have to say the things that we have done, the things we are doing is not right. I don't care whether your grandmama, your mama, and everybody before you treated you that way. You, I have to say, it stops here. It stops with me. And until they do that, we cannot begin to expect people to make the turn. <laughs> yeah so throughout throughout this broadcast i heard you use words like coping um and systems and strategies and processes that suggest that you're an advocate for therapy it's like and 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 i think you're so gracious and you're so amazing in that that you know the work and you've done the work but everybody ain't there yet like baby cope what you mean I'm, I'm surviving, trying to take care of these kids. Ain't no coping. I'm doing what I got to do to make sure they got food on the table, a roof over their head, and clothes on their back. That's 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 that. But for me, for me, I, I think it's on my generation, on Dion generation, the generations under us, to educate our parents on the effects of therapy. Because me and my mom, we went six years without talking. And before that, we didn't got in fist fights. She didn't bust me in my head with vases. I didn't bust her in the head with them. We didn't call each other every type of name in the book. But right here, right now, on what's the day? May 31st. That's my dog. That we we like this. And you know why? It's because I went through the process of deliverance and inner healing, which means I did a whole lot of God and a whole lot of therapy. I had to unpack how she made me feel and what my past did to me. So I'm coming back to her like, bro, I went to therapy. You need to go. For some reason, the older generations just don't believe in therapy. Like, what is wrong with y'all? Go get you some help. In, in the middle of the night, you need to cry out to your Lord and Savior Jesus. Because that's what I did. But my mom has come back to me and apologized. You know why? Because I'm very firm with her as I am with my child. Baby, you're not about to play with me. These are my boundaries. I don't care who you is. I don't care what you went through raising me. These are my boundaries. This is what I'm going to deal with, and this is what I'm not. I love you, and I thank you for not aborting me. I tell, I told my mom and dad like two days ago, because I asked her, girl, why you didn't get an abortion? Because if I was 16 and pregnant, you would have made me get one. She said that never even crossed my mind to get one. I thank you for doing your, your job to get me here. I thank God for using your wounds to get me here. But now that I'm here, now that I have arrived, you're going to respect me. This is what I'm going to stand for. This is what I'm not. And vice versa. I think the generations that preceded me are so far gone that it's going to take for my generation to just disturb the whole the whole thing. Because my generation, you know, we're quick to say, oh, I'm going to therapy. I need a mental health day. Like, we, we're just not settling for it. And, and I honestly believe that's what's going to take. I think it's going to take more, more, more people of my generation to talk to grandma, mom, and be like, yo, I ain't, I'm, I'm not standing for it. And if you want me to respect you, you got to respect me 
and you need to go get help. Because that was the thing with my mom too. Like, go Especially get help. if they're parenting our children. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so a lot of parents are parenting their children's children. And so to your point, unless they're confronted, unless there's an expectation that they begin to make the change that needs to be made, one of the decisions that you and others have to make, you said the younger generation, I think that was a shout out to the old people. That's what I think, but I'm going past that since I'm the old people. Okay. Okay. Since my daughter in her forties said, I need some therapy. Of course, uh, you know, it wasn't until she sent me a letter that edified or helped me understand that I hadn't done as bad as I thought. But there were times even I questioned whether I was a little more extra, as they say, you just being extra. But weird enough, she she made a comment one day, said, you didn't beat me enough. I'm like, I don't believe in beating kids to get cooperation. Mm -hmm. I believe in extraction of privileges. (laughs) So that is a parenting style that some of us need to do more of taking, extracting privilege than using leather to try to negotiate. Mm -hmm. So, Dr. G, let me ask you this, because you are the uh, the elder stateswoman and I always like to I always like to lean on your knowledge. Um, And this is going to seem like a very simple question, but I don't know if there's a very simple answer. Um, as parents, how do we know when we, if we got it right? My grandson said something to me just tonight as we talked about this topic. And he said that he remembers the times that I, ha- that I spanked him. And then he said, and then you take me out to get ice cream. <laughs> and you would talk to me about what I did and why you made the decision to act in whatever way. And so how do we know if we got it right? They'll tell us. I believe that our children, our grandchildren, and now I have great grandchildren, they can't talk to me in that way. But when they see me and they and they scream Gigi, that means everything to me. When my grandson who's 25, who I parented because my daughter was a 16-year-old mama. Mm. So we were parenting her and her son. Okay. So so when for her to write me the thing she wrote me on Mother's Day, for my grandson to sit in front of me at, at almost 26 and tell me about how I parented him, that's what I rely on. And when our children can't, when we're intimidated, If we should ask, how am I doing? We should ask our kids, how am I doing? And be ready for the answer. Just like Jack Nicholson said, you can't handle the truth. If you don't want the truth, then don't ask them. (laughs) If you don't want them to really tell you how you're doing, then don't ask them. Just keep living in fantasy, thinking we're doing great, telling ourselves that we're doing fine. Or open ourselves up and say, I love you. I care about you. I think I made a bad move. What do you think? Now, they may say something and I don't agree with it. And I'll say, I don't agree with it. But at least we're having a conversation. That's how I know I'm doing it right. I can have a conversation and they'll be straight up with me. Tell me, even now, what the what the way they agreed with what I did or what night and we can agree to disagree, but we had that conversation. So let us parents not be intimidated. Ask. Cousin, how do you think we know if we got it right? I don't think we ever know if we got it right. Hmm. It's always gonna be some sort of doubt like that takes you back to a moment with your child. That just be like, mm. I mean, to say you got it right is when your child grows into their purpose 
and you say, I got it right. I did the best I could. Look how my baby turned out. Because I'm sure that's my mom's testimony too, is that I, I caused some pain and it was hard being a teen mom. But look at my daughter. Look at what all that she has accomplished. Um, but I don't know if we ne ever necessarily get it right. And I don't know that we will ever necessarily get it right on our own because it takes a village to raise a child. I can't necessarily say that my mom got it right without the help of my grandma, without the help of my godparents, without the help of whoever. Um, so I would say, I guess people think they got it right when they see what they their child grows up to be. Well, I got it right because my husband was right there helping me. He had <laughs> no children. And and I can tell you, it, you know, we had our own moments. And, and when I came to terms, back to being honest with self, when I realized what I was doing with her was not working, I went to her and I said, you know what? What I'm doing isn't working. So tell you what, from now on, you, we're going to, if you want something or you need something of critical nature, go to, go to Bernard. If Bernard says yes, it's yes. And if Bernard says no, it's no. And let me tell you, it transformed our relationship. And so to, to, to the point of co-parenting and parenting, no parent should have to do this by themselves. I know there's a whole lot of folks out here who are doing it on their own. And I saw uh, someone in the in the chat made a comment about the old folks are so used to covering up and so used to not wanting to deal with the realities of what's been going on. They'd rather cover it up than, 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 than directly face it and deal with it. And there lies the crux of what we're talking about. Personal responsibility, admitting that something's not right here. And saying to self, I'm, it's, this is going to change with me and how I do it. I don't know if I did it right to your point, but if they're telling me I did it halfway right, it's better than telling me I just blew it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have an additional thought on that. I read a book by Dr. Van Moody called The People Factor. And it's a book about relationships. And Dr. Van Moody suggested that it's not always about who's right or who got it right, but about who was willing. And I just would like to suggest the same thing goes for parenting. Like, as long as you're willing to get it right, as long as you're willing to do the work that needs to be done to parent your child correctly, no matter if you got it right or you getting it right, as long as you're always willing to get it right, then that's, that's, all, that's all it takes. Hmm. It starts with listening. Hmm. Well, I think that's a good place for us to end this episode. What y'all think? You all have given some great insight and some great information. Uh, any closing words to Shara Nicole? Um, no closing words. I just thank you for having me. It was great. Um, to every parent watching, to every parent listening, whether it's now or it's the replay, I just pray that God keeps you um, through your storm. May God always comfort you while you're uh, raising your children. May God comfort your children as well. Uh, that literally God shows up and be exactly what you need him to be because he's the father and he's a friend um, and he's like a brother. So may God's grace, God's love and God's mercy cover you on your parenting journey. And when you get weary in it and you don't know what to do, I just hope that you are strong enough to pray and go before God because he'll definitely give you the strength that you need to um, endure. If you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me. It's the same spelling as my name, DeSharon Nicole. Um, and that's all I got. Well, thank you, ma'am. You uh, gave me a little bit of encouragement with those words of wisdom right there. I appreciate that. Uh, Dr. Bambi Gaddis, do you have anything that you would like to say to close us out, I just want to thank Deshar for her honesty, her transparency. Um, and I'm just grateful that we have this opportunity to have this conversation and so many others that uh, Dion you've brought forward through black uh, people parenting. I'm not sure if there's a lot of venues around to have this kind of conversation. And I just want to give kudos to, to you and honor you as a, as a brother 
for having the insight to bring this kind of thing forward and for Deshar for, for her honesty and, and, and helping us confront uh, some really hard topics. Absolutely. All right. So if you all are tuning in, that's it. Thank you all for everything. Thank you all for checking us out. Be sure to like, share and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your favorites. Uh, You know, I always close out. Be sure to take care of each other. Take care of your kids. But in the midst of it all, don't forget to take care of yourselves. I'll let you all the next episode. Peace. Night. Hey, are you looking for new and innovative ways to connect with your children? Do you want to learn how to connect with them through hip hop, social media and popular culture? Then look no further than my company, The Glad Dad. I'm Dion, a keynote speaker, professional development trainer and workshop presenter. And I'm also an expert in family engagement. And I want to show you and everyone around you how to use the latest trends to connect with young people on a much deeper level, a level that will truly break down barriers and create change. By working with the Glad Dad, you'll learn how to break through the noise and meet young people where they are to connect with them on their level. You'll discover new ways to communicate, engage, and create meaningful connections that'll last a lifetime. Whether you're a parent, teacher, or youth leader, I want to teach you the strategies that'll help you connect with your kids like never before. From keynote speeches to professional development training, I got you covered. So don't wait any longer. Visit my website, DionChavis.com today to learn more about how I can help you connect with your children through hip-hop, social media, and popular culture. Your kids will thank you for it. That's right, the Glad Dad, helping adults establish positive relationships with young people. Reach out to me today and let's discuss how I can serve you and your staff. Now let's get back to the podcast.